I would say it requires a, a little spark of courage that you taking one step might turn into an absolute sprint and you, before you know it, you're 50 miles ahead and you're like, how the fuck did I get here? And, you know, you realize it was just with that one brave decision to sort of be honest and, and just decide that enough is enough. That was Alex Brooker. This is the Prime Podcast. Yeah. You ready? <laughs> hey. Let's go. Bet. I'm at my. I'm at my. I'm at my prime. Hey guys, welcome back to the Prime Podcast, where we're gonna help you find your prime. Today we got a special guest, Alex Brooker coming all the way from Switzerland. And uh, we got to figure out what the t- I didn't even t- think, ask you about the time zone difference. We're going to talk about that in a second. So he's a phenomenal strength and conditioning coach, been doing it for a while, works with a lot of high-level professional athletes, Olympians, a whole lot of stuff. And we're going to talk about kind of like where how he got into it, how COVID changed his methods, or, or at least the style or where he does things. And then we're going to see what happens. So Alex, thanks for hanging out. Thank you very much for inviting me, mate. So let's take it like... Uh, we didn't talk about what's the what is the time difference over there? Where, where are you at right now? Um, we're six hours ahead, so it's Friday evening. I'm on I'm on uh, I'm on Zencaster with you, and I couldn't be more pleased, mate. So this is a great evening. Let's do it. Let's do it. It's Friday night. See, I'm not quite there yet. It's Friday lunchtime over here. Right. So well, let's welcome I'll- in the weekend in the best way. Absolutely, that sounds good. So, t- so how did you get into to the strength and conditioning field? Let's start there. So. When I was younger, I loved rugby. That was my, my, my absolute passion. It was my diehard thing, but I wasn't blessed genetically whatsoever. I was very hardworking, but I just didn't have the body for it. You know, I was breaking bones a lot. And at around the age of 14, 15, I really started taking serious uh, going to the gym. I mean, I was the, I was the idiot that realized squatting heavy the day before a game made my legs feel pretty good. You know, like when you're younger, you get that post-activation <laughs> yeah. potential going. It would cripple me now. But I was that kind of guy that was waking up uh, before school or before even the rugby trainings that we'd have in the morning, go to the gym. And I made massive developments with my with my game in this way. And I was also very lucky that the gyms that I was training out of, I kind of got taken under the wing of some real blue-collar powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting guys. And they sort of taught me all of the the techniques of squatting and deadlifting and cleaning and you know and they were it was their life you know these, these guys didn't have much going on one of them was a firefighter outside of their job all they was doing was lifting so I always knew that every time I went to the gym these guys would be there and I was kind of like the the young dumb and reckless kid that was just willing to try to max out every single day and um, I think they had a lot of fun sort of teaching me that and watching me make some mistakes. After a few years of that, this was when like DeFranco was was posting his blogs online. I was really lucky that I, I went to a fantastic university in the UK called Loughborough University. And that's the sort of hub of Great Britain athletics. It's got the best rugby teams there, um, but also like field hockey and swimming and it's just got the best athletes in the UK. They all go to this university. It's a super competitive place to get into. 
I was so lucky that when I went and visited the, I only went to visit one university. And when I saw the gym, because the gym was my life at that point, I saw the gym and I was like, no matter what, this is the place that I want to come to playing rugby there. And, and, and I was still training so much. And as time went on, sort of, I started training some of my teammates and then some, a friend of a friend of mine introduced me to West Side for Skinny Bastards. And um, <laughs> and then I discovered this gem of information on DeFranco's website. I think he used to do this Ask Joe column, I think it was called. And yeah. I just sort of was taking everything in that I could. And then from there, I discovered sort of T Nation and Elite FTS. And then on Elite FTS, you had, you know, Buddy Morris under Coach X and Tom Maislinski and the Finker on there. And that was just, my mind was just absorbed with this stuff. That was all I was doing all day, every day. And by like the third year of, of university, I was on the placement. So I finally had a bit of money. I decided to to go over to the US to do one of Joe's certifications. I think it was one of the begin, one of the first CPPS, I think, but I'm not mm-hmm. quite sure because it was so long ago now. But we, I went over there and bumped into Mike and I knew a bit about Mike, not just from the videos of him and, you know, him being called an asshole and stuff, but like also some of the other stuff he was writing about. And I knew he was, you know, he was, he was, he was committed to, to growing as a coach himself. As soon as me and Mike met, to be honest, it was, it was a great fit. We went for dinner once. I was only in the US for about three days, I think, but I managed to to wiggle my way. And uh, I think it was the first intern that DeFranco's ever had for the following summer, but it didn't, it didn't really work under, it wasn't really an intern for Joe. It was much more like I went for dinner with Mike and I said, look, mate, how can I, how can I intern next summer? I'll do anything. Like I'll clean the gym every day. I'll bring you coffee. I'll do your errands, whatever it is, whatever, whatever you whatever you need doing, please consider me. And he was like, yeah, sure thing. Like, you know, without confirming with Joe or anything, he's like, you can intern for me. Mike gave me this wonderful opportunity. So I think it was about six months after that trip, I come uh, I come back to the States. And then um, and then that was it, mate. I had like three or f- just over three months interning there at DeFranco's. And then that was a really big sort of shift in my life because then when I come home, my whole focus was that I knew exactly what it is that I want to do. And I, I had this wonderful experience with these great guys that sort of, you know, they, they really spent a lot of time in developing me. I mean, especially Mike, you know, me and Mike were, were together all day, every day. And this was back when Joe had his, had his big facility. They were so busy. So I just got to see so much great stuff going on, meet many great people. And, and then that was it, mate. After finishing university, so that was my sort of my third year of university. I come back home. I had my final year of rugby and my final year of studying. And I, I come back in great shape because I was training like a like a maniac over there too. And then unfortunately, like two or three days before the preseason camp started, um, I was doing some tempo work in a field. It had been raining the morning of it. And uh, as I was just decelerating, I pulled my hammy. Or I thought oh. I pulled my hammy. It was like a, a, a very low grade tear. But again, I was young and reckless and I didn't really want things to stop me. There was a student rugby world cup that was going to take place at the end of that year. So I really wanted to play in this. This was like, this would have been a dream come true to play for the national team and to, uh, 
you know, to, to be with my friends, you know, our team had a lot of players in the national team there. So, so then my hamstring situation just got worse and worse. I had to finish playing pretty early. And luckily, because I'd been coaching so many of my friends and everybody knew that I was huge into coaching and that's what I wanted to do after after studying, the, the guy said, look, you know, you know how to do massage. I'd done a massage qualification already um, by this time. And they said, look, you're a, you're a big contribution to the team. So why don't you still come on the World Cup and work with the guys? You can be doing massage and doing the warm-ups and different stuff like this and doing the preparation work for them too, some, some fitness work. And then my first real job was to be part of the, the student national team to the World Cup where we come second. That was an amazing opportunity. And then um, after that, my next goal was to go to Australia to go and play rugby again to give it another goal and also to study my master's degree in, 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 a, in a strength and conditioning field. I was looking for a job and I just met a, a guy from Switzerland that opened up a job at a seminar the summer beforehand. And I just hit him up on Facebook and asked him if he was looking for, for some help and I needed a job for the summer. And then he said, like, you know, actually, I was I was thinking about asking you, I need someone, but I didn't think you'd be interested. And I said, mate, I'm very interested. I can be there whenever you need me. I think it was, you know, if not the next day, it was the day after. And then I, I just sort of packed up, went to Switzerland with no idea where I was going to stay, no real money, no idea what whatever was going to happen. I turned up. Yeah, mate, kind of the rest is history. So that's, that's, there's a lot of stuff in there. Wow. Yeah, so, yeah. And uh, that's still, that's finishing some years back. I mean, a lot happened also between then. I mean, I was really lucky to be, you know, this facility that we had in, in Zurich there, it was, it was just at its roots. I mean, we were the first private gym in Switzerland that was catered to, to, to working with athletes. And it was in an old train warehouse. Oh, so wow. it was this beautiful old building with these huge old windows and, it just, it was the perfect environment. And uh, and the guy who who built the gym, Arno Galmarini, done a great job with just the layout and there was graffiti on the walls and it was just super stylish. It, there, was, there was nothing like this in the country. When I was first there, I just went one client by one client as they come in and we started sort of picking up pace and we was doing pretty well. And then I ended up going to Australia anyway, just to start the masters. I was lucky that I could do it online. And as soon as I got there, I, you know, I really wanted to come back to Switzerland. And then I was there for four years and we grew this place into, we was working with the Swiss national team. We had, you know, Olympic gold medalists come in, Olympic gold, Olympic bronze, Olympic silver. We had the biggest ice hockey team in the country at the time. That was, I was lucky. I don't know if you know hockey, but Austin Matthews, when he come over to Switzerland before he was drafted, he played for Zurich Lions. So I had the pleasure of spending time with him for a year as well as some other uh, NA, good NHL guys and some legends in Swiss hockey. And then after four years, I, I packed up and I went traveling for a couple of years and then I ended up coming back. So um, yeah, mate, it's been, a, it's been a hell of a journey. It's 30 years, but it feels like there's been a lot more years in it. Yeah, and it's a lot, a lot of stuff happened really fast too. Yeah. And yes. you know, that's like what's really interesting is that, and I talk, and I, Mike had talked about this, Mike Wadengo, who he's referencing a little bit in there from the DeFranco's. I met Mike this previous two last weekend and uh, he was talking about his internship process and how, you know, he was just like, so about, you know, 
you know, kind of he, he called like stalking and like stalking people to be interns for and like really wanting to be interns and really wanting to learn from people. And it seems like, you know, you got in a position where you're like, yeah, this, this is what I want to do. So this is what I need to do. And I'm just going to ask and ask for stuff. You know, like I always tell people like you never, if you don't ask, you're never going to get the answer, right? Whether it's yes or no, like you got to find out first. So you got to ask the question. And most of the time people, as you found, people say yes. <laughs> yeah. You and you, you're right. I mean, you know, asking is always important because you really got to, you know, you you have to sort of walk your own path and that requires you to take steps and, and, and to sort of say what it, say what you want to happen. And I mean, you know, my, I didn't have to persuade Mike, but I was really convinced that no matter what, like he's gonna, I'm coming back here next summer. You know, that was right. my sort of mindset. And, um, and I think, you know, I was lucky too, because, you know, it was funny the night before I flew over to the U S I was training with a couple friends of mine and, like I said, I was a huge DeFranco advocate. I mean, you know, and we was doing sort of strongman training in the dark, in the in the in the car park of a warehouse where the car headlights were the only thing that was illuminating us. And I we was doing some uh, farmers walks and prowler pushing and tire flips and stuff. And while I was farmers walking, and you know, I was an idiot. I mean, I had like a hundred and forty kilo in one hand and. I lost grip and I ended up dropping that farmer's walk on my foot. And now I had those Vibram five finger shoes yeah. on, you know, you know, those. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and I mean, I remember stopping and everybody stopping. And I thought that I'd sort of chopped my foot off because it was a farmer's walk bar where the plates, they stacked sort of vertically on top. It looked like oh, yeah. it was, you know what I mean? So there's like this bar on the bottom and then the plates sit on the top part. So yeah, they're like not loaded. Like, like for how they store bumper plates. Yeah. It, yeah. Right. Exactly. And yeah, so I, I completely destroyed my foot. I mean, I broke my foot in two places and I broke three toes. And that was, and then I, I mean, I still went to Joe's and my foot was huge. I couldn't even have it in a shoe, but that was already something that's kind of differentiated me to these guys, you know, because they could see I had this big purple foot and I was still trying to do everything. <laughs> and I had like the most energy. I was so excited to be there. I was so happy. It was just like, you know, this is really where I want to be. I couldn't be... Um, I couldn't be more happy to be there. And just even when I got to go dinner with Mike and, you know, his uh, ex-fiancé at the time, you know, I think there was there was such good energy around, you know, because we both had this common passion for, for coaching. We loved it. We were athletes ourselves. We didn't make it big time. But, you know, if anything, it was actually the best thing ever because it put us into this path of coaching and, and we loved it. And then that was it, mate. I mean, after that summer... You know, me and Mike have been best friends ever since. And I mean, that was 2012, I think, summer mm -hmm. 2012. Nice. So in the early, like, uh, so 2000, like the spring of 2005, I did, I went to Cyprus and did a, a student teaching thing where I was teaching in a, in a private English speaking school in a, mm -hmm. the little island of Cyprus. You're familiar? Yeah, of course. I love Cyprus. Yeah. Beautiful yeah. place. Yeah. Party central, right? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of it, a lot of drunk English guys go in there, mate. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what I noticed there that was different from America at the time was that the the strength and conditioning, like the facility, like the gym in the the college, was very like small. Didn't have a lot of stuff. Like, is that how it was in in Swiss? Like, how was it? Well, before you went to DeFranco's, like in that time when you were training at the that early gym. Uh, what was it like? Mm -hmm. What was the training style like? What are the facility like? I mean, everything has obviously changed significantly now because gym equipment is so readily available. But what was it? What was the kind of vibe there early on? 
Well, before the Franco's, um, I wasn't in Switzerland. That was after. Um, right, but oh, before, sorry, yeah. No, no, no worries. Because I mean, I said so much. I was rambling on for about <laughs> 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> but before, so before the Franco's, I mean, say at Loughborough University, that's where I was. I mean, yeah. this is where the best, like the Olympians of Switzerland, like the Olympic team train, uh, sorry, of, of England, the UK train. So there you had sort of, you know, organized sport practice through the Elite Institute of Sport. So it was revolving a lot around sort of, you know, Olympic lifting and sort of very much like block training. And that was what I loved about Joe's, which was more of the concurrent style, uh, the style of training, how to organize it in this kind of way. So that was that was the difference between sort of Loughborough and there, but, but then coming to Switzerland, I mean, Switzerland is, is a, a world leader in so many things, but in terms of like sport practice, I mean, especially if you compare it to say the U S or Australia or the UK, they're quite some time behind. Now they're only kind of getting into like big data. Now the, now's the time that they're sort of measuring everything within the teams and, and building very expensive and very big facilities over here now. But at the time, when I first moved to Swiss, the training style, it was kind of like, it was kind of like, it was just like traditional, like, you know, linear periodization, you know, like using a lot of machines, doing sort of, you know, body part training and kind of like no real innovation. It was like the people that were coaches were athletes themselves and they Mm -hmm. were just repeating what they did when they were athletes. You know what I mean? So there wasn't this sort of very like progressive sport preparation mindset. A lot of the athletes they were training out of a, a place called Mucklingen, which is. Have you ever seen the the old Werner Gunford, the shot putter? Have you ever seen those old training videos of him? The guys jumping over the hurdles and jumping on everything. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah, so so that coach there, by the way, Jean Pierre Egger, he's an absolute legend. I've I've been lucky enough to meet him once. He was still training. He ended up working with a amazing athlete called Valerie Adams. Uh, she was a New Zealand woman i think she's like the best all-time shot putter I, she, her records for sure are, are, are too great for me to even try to uh to remember right now but he he was he's still there and you know this they were the the olympic center and they had a lot of power and a lot of control over the athletes because everything was kind of organized under the the governing body of each sport so a skier was part of swiss ski and swiss ski had coaches that would come from the Olympic center. So everything was very organized. So that then when I come over to Switzerland and what, you know, Arno Galmarini was building through this, uh, through this gym, elite training Switzerland, it was a kind of like, it, it, it wasn't a, a re, like a revolt against them. It was much more about trying to just sort of innovate change, you know, right. because everyone was just doing the same things, or at least that's what it seemed like. And that was the beauty of what we were able to do. We kind of just, we, we, we started playing with ideas of what other people are doing in the world and experimenting. And, you know, as we was talking before the podcast, you know, the people here are amazing. I mean, if you do a good job and you show you care and you're really genuinely trying to help people, there's not much, there's not many people here. We don't live in a, in a country with, you know, 300 million people. There's, there's like, I think there's 9 million people in Swiss. Like it's very Mm -hmm. small. So, you're able to to carve yourself a, a a very powerful position here if you're doing a good job and you're really over delivering with your athletes. And we were able to work for a long time with guys that no one would leave our, our gym, you know, they would just they would always stay with us. So 
they grew as we grew too. And that just made the whole thing uh, really fantastic, mate. Yeah. So when you went to DeFranco's, was that kind of a, because it changed the style of things that were happening where you were, right? Because everyone was kind of, like you said, block prioritization, maybe some bodybuilding machine type stuff. And then you come over with some of DeFranco stuff. And even at the time when DeFranco, when you had went there, that was, you know, for a lot of us, that was, you know, he was doing the thing and there wasn't a lot of people in America doing that right. style of training as well. And now it's much more common to see, but having a leg up when you go to back to, you know, UK or when you end up in, in Galmarines and, and Swiss, then you have this different ideas and different ways to progress and do things that is definitely significantly different than how maybe everyone else knew because it was just kind of the same old, same old. Oh yeah. And I mean, look, when I was in Loughborough, you know, like I said, there was, it was like alpha central, you know, there were four boys to one girl in this oh, wow. university. Right. And these are all sports guys. I mean, not all of them, but the majority of people that are going to Loughborough, it was either for engineering or for sports. And I only really saw the, the, the athletes cause I was involved in the gym and rugby and stuff like that. But when I was, when I was coming and I was, you know, trying these new techniques with these guys, I mean, you know, there was a lot of ridicule, you know, because they were like, who, who are you? You're a student. You, sh you, you're not really allowed to be coaching people, you know, like what you're doing is, is, is stupid, you know, stupid. Yeah. And there'd be a lot of talk and, and, and eyes and, you know, people kind of like mocking what we was doing and stuff. And, but I mean, that was honestly, it was all part of, of, of toughening up my skin and also, you know, exploring like is there genuine truth to this is there actually is this method superior to this other style and you know we we had tremendous success with things so i'm not going to say that but i don't want to say that what we was doing was better than what anyone else was doing i i don't think as the time's gone on anthony mate i don't think there's a way i just think that you just you got to try to just do the best that you can with the tools that you have and 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 you know this whole idea of like sticking to one method uh, mythology is um it's it's not really that's not my my style at all but i mean in switzerland yeah it, it changed the game i mean since that since that facility there's a lot more private sports facilities around i know that there's a lot of people that do much more sort of strongman hybrid stuff um and it's funny i do less of that now um and a lot more other people are doing more of it but yeah mate, it definitely changed the game for sure. Yeah. And, and like you just said, there's a couple of different things that I, I wanted to talk about in there. So evolving, right? I always, I, I've used to say this before, like if I knew a better way, then I would give that to you kind mm. of thing. You know, so if I was a coach, if I knew a better way to do something, like I'm going to give you whatever I have that I think is the best, like you were just saying. So like, you know, is it the, is it one way, the best way, like whatever methodology that I've adopted and taken pieces of here and there, maybe a little bit of strongman, maybe a little bit of powerlifting, maybe a little bit of Olympic lifting, things that I've found have been effective for me, then that's mm -hmm. what I'm going to offer to my, my athletes. I'm going to give them the best of whatever I have right now. And I right. think that's, and, and the other thing that you're talking about, like getting ridiculed. And I listened to your podcast with, with Ben Patrick, the knees over toes guy. Right. Yeah. Uh, and he was talking about <laughs> how doing his exercises because they're not quote unquote normal. Like you go to the gym and look like, look like a dummy. He's like, yeah. so be prepared to <laughs> be prepared to be ridiculed and like bring a friend to do the exercise with you. So you're not, not in it by yourself. Yeah. But you look who, who's laughing now, man, this guy's, uh, he's crushing it. Yeah. You know, and, but that's always the way if there's any, you know, we, we're social animals, right? So anyone that's kind of 
doing something different than the herd is always going to, you know, get looked at in a certain way, but we can't allow that to stop us from trying new things. I mean, Jesus Christ, could you imagine if you still behaved the way you did, or you still believed the things you did when you were 18, 25, even 30, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and it's just a continual evolution of, of your life in, in general. Right. And then for us, it's just that we absorb and, and put all of our energy into, you know, strength, conditioning, nutrition, health, lifestyle to help our athletes perform their best. Cause we're at the point now that, you know, we've, we've all been athletes. We played at university or college and things like that. And then, you know, obviously didn't make it big time, but we've got this opportunity to help other people potentially get to the, that pinnacle of their athletic performance and being able to give them the best is, is means uh, for me, like we were, like we said, we were talking off air and just seeing our athletes and seeing my athletes like do really well is really exciting for me as well. Yeah, mate. I mean, I mentioned, I mean, when we first grew the, the the first facility in Switzerland, I mean, we had so many great people uh, coming in and out of our doors. And then I I packed up and I left Switzerland for quite some time. And I mean, I spent majority of that time on a motorbike uh, going through South America. And I spent a lot of time alone, a lot of time alone, a lot of time meeting new people too. But my idea was kind of just to disconnect from the world and to start trying to figure some different things out coming back and now i mean my life is so completely different than it was three years ago you know i've got now a a young child you know i'm in a beautiful relationship i've I've got a business now which is you know a large chunk of those people in this business are people that i worked with all those years back and for them to you know my business i didn't have any growing pains at the beginning because of the work that I'd done beforehand. And it was all because of those connections with these people that I made. And, you know, really as time goes on, I mean, I love, I don't know, are you familiar with Naval Ravikant? Have you, have yes. you ever heard? Right. And, you know, he's he's one of the things he said is, you know, play long-term games with long-term people. And, you know, for me, it's, you know, I've, I've been blessed to have these great people that have come into my life and to be now able to work with them quite some years later, and now to be a small part of their story, for me, it's like massively rewarding. Like my relationships are the things that I cherish the most, you know? And I, it took me packing up and going away for a long time to really truly realize that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when you first had come back from your little, your hiatus or your journey there, yeah. like, what well, did you come back right into training or were you? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Well, it was kind of weird because I was, I was spending I was living in Colombia and then I was about to go to California to, to start my PhD in sports psychology. And then my one of, or now one of my best buddies, but back then one of my old interns who took quite a lot of my old clients when I left, he was working with the Swiss national ice hockey team. And he, I think he, he had a wedding or something like that to go to, And I was looking for an excuse to come back to Europe to earn a little bit of money to see my parents. I hadn't seen them for a long time. And um, he said, look, you know all the guys anyway. Why don't you come back, do this uh, camp for me? Uh, You can stay in my place, et cetera, et cetera. And I jumped at the chance. So then I I come over to Switzerland with all expectations that I'm going to start a new life in California. Mm-hmm. and it was in a different part of Switzerland than I was living in before. 
And when I got to this place, I really started to like it. I had a really good feeling about it. It's such a beautiful area This this in Bern, which is actually the capital of Switzerland, but it's not the biggest city. Uh, it's funny like that. Within the, you know, where we was working, the guys out of this facility there, you know, I got to meet some great people. I ended up meet, meeting my, my future partner through this this place too. And, you know, it was pretty much like, I fell back in love with Switzerland, but I was stubborn. And I was like, I'm still going to go back, go to California because this is what I said I was going to do. And when I got there, I just knew by the feeling like this isn't, this isn't the right place. This isn't where I want to be. So then I just did what I usually do and just start traveling again. And then I did a road <laughs> trip. I did a road trip up to Vancouver. I was still chatting much with my, my, my now partner, but back then it was, you know, the girl I was really into. She met me in Vancouver. That's where she grew, grew up. And we spent a couple of weeks together. And then, you know, I just knew that I wanted to go back to Switzerland. And then she was like, come back with me. And I was like, you know what, fuck it, let's do it. And then I come back and then, and then that was it, mate. And it was, like I said, I was just so lucky because getting back in touch with a lot of guys that I'd been working with and that was sort of, keeping in touch with me. I mean, nowadays I don't have anything on social media, but I was posting. I used to Insta dump, like I wouldn't have much internet connection when I was traveling. But then when I did, I would just upload 50 pictures, you know, I would piss, every, <laughs> I would piss everybody off, just flood everybody's feeds. But a lot of people were still following me along and keeping in touch with me. I think they were more wanting to make sure I was still alive, you know, because I was just sort of trying to just do as many different crazy things as possible. And then, um, yeah, then just to, you know, guys just willing to just, you know, immediately come back and trust me straight away. Yeah, mate, that was it. Then, then, then the business just, it just started flying straight away. That's great. I mean, I think some of the, something that's really interesting is that, but what was the, I guess the initial, if you want to talk about the initial reason that you left Galmarini to go on your, your motorbike in South America, like what, why South America? Why, you know, like all these things kind of like, it's, it's really interesting, like how, you know, like at a snap of a finger, like, all right, I'm going to go do this or I'm going to go change my, you know, one thing right. I think I'm going to do and like just something, a switch flips and you're like, oh, I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to, you know, and then just, and you doesn't seem like there's, you know, a lot of folks get really nervous with change or they get really scared about change. And it seems like you're very open to, all right, this doesn't feel right. I need to make a change. I'm going to do it right now. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at sort of like, personality structures like you have some like very like analytical and sort of head guys you know they think a lot they're very strategic and everything needs to be organized and planned and then on the other side of the spectrum you have sort of like very chaotic and wild and intuitive people and i'm definitely more in that kind of yeah. in that section and there was there were a few reasons to be honest and you know, at that time, I mean, I was still young at this time. I mean, we were very busy. I was studying a full-time master's degree whilst working, you know, five and a half days a week, long hours. And I kind of, I was just tired, mate. I just kind yeah. of got, I just, it, I didn't know how else to grow. You know, we were, we already, I, I ticked off so many sort of like of the things that I was looking to do. I, you know, I wanted to, to, to be involved with like top pros. We did that. We got busy. I wanted to earn certain amounts of money. I got to do that. I mean, I had, I had my life was everything that I wanted. You know, I had a, a great girlfriend at the time and a nice apartment. And I, I think I had two motorbikes, you know, and I had a great job and people loved me and all of this. I mean, and I, and I loved them too, but 
you know, I had a family, a close family member pass away. I was getting tired and I just, I, I needed a change. I just knew that deep down I needed a change. And then I just, you know, I made a decision one day and got, gave everybody one year uh, to say that I'm going to leave on this date and I'm going to ride a motorbike from the bottom of the Americas up to the top. That was my initial idea to go from the bottom of Argentina up to, to Alaska. I never got that far. I actually ended up, you know, like I said, I'm not very organized and strategic. So I ended up <laughs> doing, I went across South America a couple of times, back and forth, you know, from East to West Coast. And then uh, that was it, mate. I just kind of, uh, yeah, it was it was all a feeling. It was just um, my, my, I feel like my, well, I feel like everybody's intuition is, it's like your internal GPS. Yeah. And I think that if you can, you know, one of the things that I, I you know, that got me to where I was. I mean, even the things that with DeFranco and then the internships and that, it was just this, this drive. Like I, I felt like that's exactly what I want to do. So I owed it to myself to just explore it with 100% intensity. And it's always paid off because it hasn't always been like kind of the, the result that I was looking for, but I learned a lot and I've built with time sort of, uh, you know, a deep confidence in, in my gut and that was it, mate. You know, and I mean, even coming back to Swiss, I mean, I was also the guy that was like, I'm never coming back here. I don't want to be here anymore. I mean, I just got into a point where I wasn't thriving anymore. I was kind of just living, you know, and I was even, I wasn't seeing the beauty of everything around me anymore. You know, I was seeing sort of the, you know, there's no country, there's no place in the world that's absolutely perfect, right? Because the things that make a place good on the flip side are the same things that make it bad, right? So say like, for example, an opposite environment to Switzerland would be like Brazil. Now, Brazil is fantastic and Switzerland also fantastic, but completely different ways. Brazil is just wild madness, so much fun and parties and warm, crazy people. But at the same time, that's also what makes it bad because if you want to have business or family or security or safety, I mean, you don't have that because you can't have what the blessing of what makes it good without the curse too. You know what I mean? So yeah. when I was in, in Swiss and I didn't see the blessings anymore because I was just, I just wasn't, I wasn't, I it wasn't was thriving. Work. Yeah, exactly. I was consumed with work. I was working a lot and I had a lot of lessons to learn. I had a lot of things. I was so young, you know, I was like 20, I was like 24. I mean, I was like 23 years old and, you know, I was like, the 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 head of the the head of S and C for the biggest and best ice hockey club in, in in Switzerland, you know. I was younger than most of the guys. I didn't even know anything about ice hockey at the time, you know. <laughs> so, you know, and but but we did great, and it it was a great experience. And I'm very much like an all or nothing guy, and I gave it, it all. And then my gut was just it, it just told me and there were a few things that stacked up and i just was like i don't want to in 10 years from now i don't want to just keep doing this i want there needs to be some change i didn't know what the change was but i knew that i needed to change my environment because your environment is the is the number one most important thing on what you do right so i mean anthony you're a lovely guy i can tell from you know we didn't know each other an hour ago right we had nope. no idea who each other was i no, mean i want to hang out with you now i want to go hang right. out right and uh, <laughs> and but i mean right, likewise mate and but i know you're a lovely guy from just the small conversation we've had but i'm sure that if you put yourself into a prison cell with five murderers and rapists 
you are going to be a very different person than you are on this podcast with me, right? Because your environment dictates it. Now, I wasn't in, an, in, I wasn't in a negative environment, but I wasn't in an environment that was clear that I was thriving in anymore. So I just knew that I needed to make a, a drastic chop. You know what I mean? It's like if you're with a, you know, a girlfriend when you're younger and you're like, man, this girl sucks. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not happy anymore. I'm just going along with this. And then, you know, you have to make a, you know, the big ballsy decision and, and you do it and then you feel great afterwards. And that was what that, that experience traveling was for me. You know, it was like yeah. flying free and just, I knew it was exactly the right thing from the moment that I said to everyone I was going to do it. And it, and it really was. And you know, what's really interesting. Have you, are you familiar with Matthew McConaughey? Yes. 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 Like he just came out with a book called green lights. Yeah. I've, I've, I listened to it on audiobook. It's great. I just listened to it on audiobook too. And I can't help but compare your story to like some of the things that he talked about in his story. Like he felt like these kind of urges to go do different things and really like drastically changed his life. And they all turned into, you know, what might've, like you were saying, like what might've not been an immediate thing or whatever it was, it turned into his green lights. Like some of those things right. were, were life, huge life lessons. Like going, he, he talked about going motorbiking, like through where you live, like in the Swiss Alps and like down yeah. through in Europe and stuff like that. And it talks about, you know, his body getting into a motorcycle accident. The guy just brings him another motorcycle. Yep. Like some of that stuff was just wild. And, you know, I can't help but compare some of your story and like your intuition and things to like how Matthew McConaughey was describing him in, in the book. Yeah. And thanks, that's man. That's a huge, uh, that's a, that's a, that's a lovely thing for you to say. And I mean, I can't compare, I mean, Oh, those stories yeah, he's, uh, he's out, he's, he's taken it to a whole other level and you know, his life is, is, is wild and amazing, but I could definitely relate to a lot of what he was saying in that book. And it was great to, it was great to see it. And I mean, I mean the stories of him, you know, wrestling these guys in what yeah. was it, Africa and stuff, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. just fantastic. So yeah. I can really recommend if anyone, if they're into biking or cycling or need to do cardio and they don't want to just do it because they're bored, listen to that book because that book is a fantastic way to kill time. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Uh, Tor I have, I have one of my, my colleagues here, Tori. She's hanging out. Hi, she Tori. Hi. Yeah. She's just loving your voice. That's all. You've been like. hiding in the background, Tori. Why have you not been contributing to this conversation? I'm, just I'm taking notes. She's oh, taking okay. I do love the accent though. <laughs> So she actually helps me with my social media and our gym social media. So she does, uh, helps with this. She helps organize stuff, do the photo video. She's one of, she's a one-stop shop for all, all things creative. Oh, cool. I could do with someone like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Back on the Swiss Alps, I think she could handle that. <laughs> Sounds uh, good, Tori. Let me know if you're ever over here. I will. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I, I feel with you that, that intuition stuff too, because I, I think, one thing that I find that folks struggle with, you know, I'm, I have a gym of, of uh, generalists, right? Like a lot mm -hmm. of folks that come for general fitness. I probably have like 135 to 150 people who come for what we call like, we're, we're kind of like a, we used to be a CrossFit gym and we've kind of changed and gone a little bit more hybrid to things like, like I said before, things that I find more valuable in that setting that aren't true quote unquote CrossFit. And then I have a group of athletes right now. I've got about like 30 or 35 you know, from middle school, high school, college, pro athletes um, that I work with personally. And the, the other, the group ones are a little bit more with my staff. Just having that intuition of like the, the athlete thing for me, Tori and I were actually just talking about this in terms of different changes that we've made in the business, different changes that I've made in my life and 
you know, I was living in New York City for 10 years and it was just time for a change. So I got up and kind of moved and mm-hmm. I opened a gym. I did all these different things. And it's just like that, like you're saying, like having that intuition, that gut feeling that, hey, I need to make a change for my life in order to be happy. I can't do this and just right. keep grinding like this for the next 20 years and, and really enjoy my life. Yeah. And I think a lot of folks struggle with making that, they have that feeling, but they just kind of suppress it. They push it down. Mm. So what, what, I mean, what kind of, I think everyone, like you said, everyone has those feelings, that intuition of like, they know deep down, they feel something, right. And they may not know how to express it or what to do with it. But what, you know, like I said, you've done some, some crazy stuff. I haven't made, you know, like huge, like I would love to go on a motorbike and go into South America. I would love to even, I just tell myself I want to buy a motorcycle. I haven't got to that point yet. (laughs) I got two little ones and and I'm married. I got two, two little ones. I have a seven year old and a, and a, and a four year old. Oh man, they um, like motorbikes themselves, though. No, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> My youngest one, she'd be probably be crazy trying to ride it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just trying to make. And you know, once we get to that point, some of those things we we feel. Yeah, I want to do those things, but then we have all these, you know, that analytical part starts to come in and be like, oh, I can't do that because of this. I can't, you know. So what? Maybe what advice would you give somebody who has those feelings and is just like maybe not pulling the plug or or you know to do some of those things that might actually turn out to be some of the best decisions they've ever made. Yeah. I mean, I always feel funny with, 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 with advice and stuff because, yeah, you know, I, I'm like, I have no idea about anything, <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? Like even for myself, you've done it a couple times now where you've just like, I kind of followed that gut feeling and just, just went and did it. Yeah. And I, know, I mean, like, for me, it comes like, I mean, and it, I just sort of use this for a lot of decisions to make. I mean, you know, the the, the clock is ticking, eh? Yeah. I mean, I had, by 18, I had two guys that I played rugby with, both within one year of each other, die from cancer. And they were both very fit, strong, healthy guys. And just mm-hmm. in one year, two guys gone. And that never, that never left me. And I mean, you know, I'm not sure what's worse, you know, to to go out. Well, actually, I do know what my own decision. I mean, everyone's got to come to this decision. But, you know, we feel like when we make a big decision or a big change, our prehistoric brain perceives it as, oh, my God, but you might die. Oh, my God, but what about this? What about that? And, right. you know, we're anxious beings because of that's just evolutionary psychology. Like we needed to be like that, you know, and this prehistoric hardware isn't suitable for the current climate that we find ourselves in. So to upgrade the software, I mean, you said a key word is, you know, repressed. And I know that there's, you know, a lot of people out there in the world that they don't say really how they feel. They don't say what they want out of themselves or their relationships, or, you know, they don't, have sort of this courage to 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 try because I think they think that they have time or they come to this sort of place where they kind of, they would rather accept the devil they know than the devil they don't. Whereas for me, it's always been very much like, I don't know, I'm here for a, a good time, not for a long time. So let's yeah. just kind of, you know, do you know what I mean? Like that's, but yeah. that's my thing. And I don't think that that's, that's why I said I feel funny about uh, say you know coming up with advice like, that's just the way my mind works because so many guys said to me oh my god i need to do exactly what you did and do the bike and and i said i don't think i don't think that's true i needed to do it and could it have been with a push bike or could it have been on flipping rollerblades or could it have been sailing around the world like i had a 
one of my best friends, he sailed around the world and ended up in New Zealand. And that for him was his thing, but he wasn't, he wasn't copying someone. He wasn't doing, doing something with, uh, he wasn't sort of like reading someone's book and being like, right, I'm going to do that because I want the results that this guy's got, Exactly. you know, because I, like I said to you before, there, I don't think that there is one way. There is no way. There's just, there's like, you have this kind of little, and you can call it whatever you want. I mean, I'm not, religious or spiritual or anything, but this little soul in your body, this intuition that's kind of like trying to point you in certain ways. And if you're really honest to yourself, I, I mean, I know even still now there's certain things that, that I want to do and I want to achieve. And we're in this kind of culture where people are like, oh, ego is bad and stuff. But yeah, I mean, ego is bad if you're an asshole and you've done nothing with your life and you're just an asshole and think that you're like God's greatest gift. But <laughs> You know, say like someone great, Roger Federer is like God here in, in Switzerland, yeah. right? I mean, he's like the greatest of all time. You'd think he ain't got an ego when he when he's playing. Like, of course he has. He thinks he's the best. He's going to go for it, you know? And there's there's so much in culture, I think, that, you know, people like, and also what I said to you before, with social beings, no one really wants to be the one that's going to be a big change, you know, because every time you change your environment changes. And if your environment changes, it means that you're going to lose connection with a lot of people and beliefs and people are going to say you, you know, people are going to say you've changed and maybe that's, you don't like to, to hear that from different people, you know? So it, it requires a, a tremendous amount of, well, actually I wouldn't say a tremendous amount. I would say it requires a, a little spark of courage, but you taking one step might turn into an absolute sprint. And you, before you know it, you're 50 miles ahead and you're like, how the fuck did I get here? And, you know, you realize it was just with that one brave decision to sort of be honest and, and just decide that enough is enough. I mean, like the day you make a decision is 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 one of the most important days, right? If you decide it and then that's it and you're committed, it's a it's a very powerful moment. Yeah, like when you told your job that I'm and on this date a year from now, I'm going uh I'm going motorbiking from Argentina all the way up to Alaska. Yeah. And, and I mean how great, like, and I I mean I just want to say this because I had such great people around me. Like this was a really hard thing for me to do. You know, I had everything that I wanted at this time. You know I mean? I know I was young, but I, I still had everything I wanted, you know, you know, great relationships some material stuff. I had a bit of money. I mean, I had a great job and people like enjoyed me. You know, I was, you know, it was, it was all great, but there was still that little thing in me that was, it obviously needed to go. And now I know, now I realized I've gone through, you know, I've learned a lot. I mean, not that I've, you know, I should be an example for anybody else or something, you know what I mean? But just yeah. for me personally, I know it was the the, the greatest thing and it, it, and it just, it required that brave decision of just being honest and everybody around me was amazing with it, you know? And they were like, yeah, that, that that's the right thing. You should go and do it. And I mean, that's a testament to the, to the beautiful people that I was surrounded by. Yeah. And I think, you know, we'll close it out with one of the things that I'm going to piggyback off of what you had just talked about, because yeah, like you, we read, we read green lights and some of those things that he did were phenomenal. Like, yeah, you went motorbiking and, and all these different things, but in there, you said, it's not about copying my thing, but simply finding your thing that makes you happy or find your thing. That's going to allow you to let your soul or whatever we want to call it, kind of breathe a little bit to light that fire for you to live your best life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, uh, I mean, I love the word enthusiastic. I mean, 
I am very enthusiastic. I mean, on personality tests, my enthusiasm is is sky high, you know. And the word inf- like enthusiastic comes from enthios, I believe, which is like God within. Now that yeah. sounds like a bit wacky, but everybody knows what it feels like to be really, really excited. And exactly. for me, that's like I try to uh, go uh, lean into this. Where is where is it that I'm going to feel excited? I mean. This week, I've had the busiest week of work of my life. I mean, I've got a, a, a seven-month-old baby. Not that she was the one that kept me up. It was other it was other things, but a few hours sleep, a couple nights this week, and working from, you know, six to six, back-to-back, no breaks, no food, then dinner meetings with different people about different stuff and just very high energy. But I know that I'm doing the right thing because I have that high energy with me, you know? I'm not going to say... Sleep's not important and all the, not, not this. Of course, you've got to end up balancing it out and stuff. But going with this feeling of being really, truly alive, that for me, that's what it's all about. And I would, I would much rather terminate this, uh, this, this temporary time that we have whilst feeling that than sort of live for a long time and be sort of dead inside, but the body's still alive. And I see a lot of people like that. And that scares the shit out of me, you know? Yeah. And I think you wouldn't be able to do that kind of stuff, those six to six or those, whatever, those long hours, if you weren't enthusiastic and passionate about the thing you're doing, right. it would just be a drag. And you'd be looking at the clock every two seconds, like being in a, a class or being in a situation where you don't want to be. And you know, that we, we, I think everyone can agree that there's, you have both of those feelings. Like there's somewhere where you don't want to be and how unhappy you are. And, you know, people mm. are like, oh, time flies when you're having fun, right? Yeah. Cause you don't realize like when you're enjoying and you have enthusiasm, you have that excitement for something, that time really does fly because the time has no no sense of that. But your brain, when you know that you're doing something that you love, that you have passion for, that you're enthusiastic about, you know, things just things just keep moving. Yes, mate. And I mean, I try to also look at like the, the, the source of different things, right? So if you're like scared to do something, I mean, why? You know, like as long as you're not, it, and you, the, the number one rule of life is don't die, Right. So if if you don't die and you don't end up in prison and you don't, you know, like they're really the only real failures that there is, you know, like they're the ones that are hard to sort of come back from. But even still, if you go to prison nowadays, you can be out and then you can reinvent your life. So as long as you don't die and you don't really, you know, destroy people that are close to you around you, there's nothing to really be worrying about because, Every, I mean, everybody says it and everybody knows, but all the hard times, there's, there's, there's crucial lessons and everybody thinks that the best times in their life show them who they are, but it's not true. It's actually the dark and horrible times and the way you're acting and behaving and thinking and getting your, the, the mindset you're getting yourself into when no one's watching and shit is going down, that that's where you're sort of building your character yeah, I, for me that this whole, whole idea of failing that 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 kind of disappeared pretty quick. And I mean, if you look at children, I mean, you've got young kids, Anthony, mate, right? So yeah. you see that they they just say what they want, they go and do what they want, and they're just sort of unrestricted. But yeah. we end up becoming these conditioned monkeys that think we're so great, but we're just you know puppets. You know, so many people like you you get told from a young kid, oh, you can't say that, oh, you can't do that, oh, you shouldn't think like that, oh, that's not realistic, and you know, before you know it, you've got this perfect human that you've just got this, you know, layers upon layers and pyramids of bullshit put on top, which is just these, they, they, it's just conditioning. It's like Pavlov's dog. And that's genuinely what I think it's like. So 
you know, for me, I had to go and break those, those, those well, or break some of them. I mean, there's definitely others there that I, I'm not even aware of for sure, because I think it's a constant and endless uh, pursuit. But to me, it's like, I don't know, man, life, no one's waking up in the morning, even my wonderful mother, even my partner, no one's waking up. And the first thing they're thinking of is I'm going to do everything to make Alex's life the best thing possible. That is my responsibility. So I don't have many days. I know that they're definitely going to end at one point. So I've got my duty to myself and to the people around me to try to, to be excited and be happy and be positive and just be true. Love it. Love it. Now I know we, we were, we're a little over our time limit here, so we're going to end it. I, I would love to have you back on at, at a certain point when sure. we get, we get sure. Mike on again soon too. And uh, yeah, just thank you for coming on. And I know I'm you're not ready. super big into social media, but if people did want to hang out or see what you're doing, um, I know, what is it? A underscore. A underscore Brooker one. Yes. And um, I'll, I'll get, I'm going to pull my finger out my ass and actually, um, (laughs) and start doing it because uh, like we said on the beginning, um, it's, uh, it's silly now. It's silly now that I'm not contributing to the world in this way. So I feel like it's a bit more selfish, but also he, Brooker has his own podcast. Yes. The Mike and Brooker show. And you can find it everywhere where there's podcasts, YouTube, uh, Apple, Spotify. And that's with Mike Widango. And I'm sure the majority of the people, who are your listeners, Anthony, mate? Are they coaches? Uh, a little bit of everybody. Okay. A little bit of everybody. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm sure the coaches or the gym goers, they'll know who Mike Widango is. And if not, then look him up because there's a lot, a lot of stuff online about him. But our show is also all things sort of health and performance related. And we keep it, as the style that we've just done now, Anthony, mate, very freestyle. And we've had wonderful people on there too. And we're just going to keep doing it because it's a lot of fun. And for me and Mike, we're so busy. So if we can schedule time just to bullshit between each other, and if someone joins us on it, great. And if not, then great too, you know? And that's the way our podcast was born (laughs) and how it will always be. Yeah, that's that's a great way to be. And it's like you said, a great way to, to, to carve out an hour to hang out, get to meet people, get to talk and just put it out to the world. Like you said, you're contributing, just maybe not in social media, like in that true sense, but you're still contributing with the podcast and being yes. able to share your information. You gave us some great information here. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed our conversation. And thanks for being out. Thank you very much. Thank you, Anthony, mate. It's a big pleasure. We'd love to do this again. I really enjoyed our conversation, mate. I mean, how wonderful. Huh? We didn't know each other an hour ago. And we've just had a lovely conversation together. So thank you very much. And was it Tori in the background? Yes. Tori, thank you for being there too, girl. Even though you didn't say much, I appreciate your company. <laughs> she never says anything. She always just sits there and, just and takes so. it all in, takes it all in. Sounds so Tori, so, so Tori's a, still, uh, she's a youngin. She'll be, she turns 21 in like three weeks. Oh. Is that three weeks, right? July 6th. July 6th. Yeah. Whoa. So she's, so, you know, we're talking about like doing things that you want to do and, and living your life that you want to live and, and trying to um, kind of pursue your own thing. Have you, have you ever read The Alchemist? Yes, years ago. I don't remember yeah. much of it, but I've read it, yeah. Yeah, he talks about pursuing your own legend. Like right. Kind of pursuing your own legend. That's kind of like the moral of the story. And that's kind of, Tori's been kind of going by the beat of her own drum. And that's what I love about her most and that she she can do her own thing and still be able to navigate some of the, the difficulty to being 20 years old and 21. And you know, time. women seem to mature earlier than guys, you know, emotionally, it seems like, and you know, women are, are much more feeling, uh, are much more feeling based. So yeah, good for you, Tori. Go for it, girl. Time's ticking. 
just go for it. <laughs> yeah. uh, do it. No, uh, no hesitations. No asking for permission. Just do, do what you want to do because you're going to learn anyway. I'm trying. You're going to be right. great. I'm sure. Hanging around with Anthony's a great, a great thing for you. It is. All right, my man. Fantastic. Thanks again. Thank we'll you very you much. Soon. We speak soon. Cheers, bud. All right. Thanks again for hanging out for another episode of the Prime Podcast. As usual, if you enjoyed the episode, leave us some love, some feedback, five-star review, all that good stuff. If you're interested in hanging out with Alex, listen to him talk a little bit more, that amazing accent, check out the Mike and Brooker podcast on all the platforms, and you can check those out and also follow him on Instagram. Till next time, later. Said I'm at my prime.